<clears throat> My name's Simeon. It's great to be here. Uh, great to be in person with you guys and connecting online as well. Um, I'm the youth minister here, and it's not often that you see me up here, but great to be here this morning. So um, keep your Bibles open. We're going to be looking at that one Peter passage. Keep that open in front of you. It'd be a real shame if you just listened to me and didn't check out what I was saying, uh, that it's from the Bible. Um, but how about I pray before we start looking in detail at that passage? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, you speak to us through it. We pray that right now you'd be speaking. We pray that we'd be listening. And we pray that together, as we listen to you speak to us, we would be changed. That we would be inspired to live for you, live differently in this world. Amen. Now I want to tell you three things uh, that, were, that made me different when I was a kid. Uh, the first is this. My name. I mean, you've, you know my name. It's Simeon. Now, I don't mind my name now, but when I was a kid, it was different. Uh, there's nothing wrong with my name, but it was different. And everyone used to get it wrong. Everyone would call me Cinnamon. My little kids, they can't say Simeon. They'd call me Cinnamon. So my name was different. So now even when I, I go and buy a coffee uh, and you, you often you know, give them your name, I just say Simon. I don't even bother. It's not worth the effort. So that was different about me. I had a different name. Now today, my name's probably not that different to other names you hear, but back then it was different. That's the first one. On top of that, uh, my name, I had uh, rotten front teeth. My two front teeth were rotten. You're going to see a photo of me when I was my first day of school, popping up in a moment. Uh, that's me starting out of school, uh, and you probably, you can't see my teeth there, but I, I started school with two rotten front teeth when I was a kid. It's a long story how they got that way, but get this, I had rotten teeth, or, or decaying teeth. And the dentist decided, this is what this kid with rotten teeth needs. I need to paint them black with this decay-stopping stuff that stained them permanently. So not only did I have rotten teeth, I had rotten black teeth. It was awful. That made me different. Really nasty. And so I'd go to school photos and um, you go, you know, and they'd say, you know, smile, show us your teeth. Because I'd be uh, smiling like this, as you can see. In the next photo, that's a typical school photo for me before I lost my teeth. And they'd say, smile, show us your teeth. And then it's like, Okay, just smile as you were. Uh, we don't need to see that. That was the second thing. My teeth made me different. Now, the third thing that made me different when I was a kid was that I could pick my nose with my tongue. Now, that's cool, and it is cool. It's cool. But it's not cool in the playground. It's not cool to walk around as a six-year-old thinking, it's okay to pick your nose with your tongue in the playground. Uh, if you can do that, don't do it in public. But for me, I thought that was quite normal, picking my nose with my tongue. I soon got the nickname of Snotty Man. That was my nickname in early primary school. That made me different. There are three things that growing up made me different from those around me. Now, I'm sure you can recall for yourself things that made you different, things that made you feel different, whether it was how you looked, uh, whether it was where you lived, whether it was your nationality. For the most part, we hate being different, don't we? We hate being different. We just want to be like everyone else. We long to be like everyone else. I think that's especially true when we're kids, and even more so when we're teenagers. But even as adults, we don't want to be different. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be strange. We don't want to be the different one, the outsider. Now, as we open up 1 Peter today, as we come back to 1 Peter, this is what Peter says. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are different. 
You're not like those around you. So live differently. God's people are different. So live differently. That's what Peter has to say to us this morning. And you know what? We've already seen from chapter 1 how different we are. We've seen in chapter 1, if you keep it open and glance at it with me, from verse 1 and 2, you're different because God has chosen you. You're different because God has given you birth into a living hope, verse 3. You're different because you have an inheritance kept in heaven for you, verse 4. You're different because you are receiving the salvation of your souls, verse 9. We're different. And then we get to 1 Peter 1, 13, and Peter starts with this word, therefore, therefore, and he's connecting us back to everything he's just said. Therefore, he's going to say, be different. You are different. God's people are different. So be different. And the question we'll be thinking through is, how are we to be different? How are we going to live differently to those around us? And we're going to explore that answer in four points, in four things. That we have a different hope. We have a different identity. Have different, we're called to have different relationships and different cravings. And now the first of those is our hope. A different hope. 1 Peter 1 verse 13, have a look at it with me. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed, when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Now, what's the location of our hope? Well, it's in the future. It's when Jesus Christ returns, when our salvation is complete and we experience all the blessings of being found in Jesus being his people, when they come to us in full. That's our hope. Peter says, set your hope on that day, his return. Now, how are we to do this? Have a look. It says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. He, the word he uses, it literally means to gird up the loins of your mind. Now, in the ancient world, men wore dresses. That's just a fact. It's weird, but it's true. Uh, not conducive for activity either. So they wear these long kind of garments, these robes, and when action was needed, they'd have to pull up, gird up their, their robes and tuck them into their belts so that they could move freely. Gird up the loins of your mind. Pull up your garment, tuck it into your belt and get ready for action. We might say, roll up your sleeves, get out of your PJs. But notice, it's of our minds with minds that are alert and fully sober. He's talking about how we think, how we reason. Our thinking is to be alert. It's to be clear. We're to think with sober minds. It's the opposite of which is drunkenness. It's drowsiness. It's, it's clouded thinking. One writer says this, Drunken stupor is the refuge of those without hope. No, we have hope. We have hope. Your mind is to be clear and alert as you fix your hope towards the future of Jesus' return. Be alert. Now imagine this. We're soldiers in trench warfare. You've been fighting in the trenches for weeks. You've been stuck in there and you can't get out. And it's dark and it's wet and it's uncomfortable. It's, it's nasty. It's not a good place. We've been locked in this battle. And then one afternoon, a call comes through on the radio. A call comes through that says this, the war is almost over, victory is imminent, reinforcements are only days away, and the enemy will soon be defeated. 
Now you're only moments away from the arrival of reinforcements and now you are just waiting for victory. The war is won. Now if that's you and you've just received that news, how are you going to react? Would it be to spiral into drunken despair? Or would you be living with a new, renewed energy and alertness, a mind that is completely clear, that is focused on the horizon, the coming of reinforcements any day now? There is hope. We are looking to that future, the news of victory. Well, that's the Christian hope. Christ's return is a future hope that invades our present reality. With clear and alert minds, set your hope fully on the grace that awaits you when Christ returns. So don't let your hope, Peter says, get distracted. Don't let your hope get distracted by house renovations. Don't let your hope get distracted by the end of lockdown. That's not where our hope is. Of finishing that degree, of the prospects of landing a new job or having a new boss, hoping your boss will move on. Maybe it's the hope that Bunnings Gladesville will open. Well, hallelujah, that's happened. All the guys are thinking, yes, not a 20-minute drive just to go to Bunnings, the hammer shop, my kids call it. These things, they can't sustain our hope. While those we live amongst, those around us, pour into their, their, their lives in, and their hopes into these things, attaining a new lifestyle, a, a standard of living, working towards a certain future, building a future for their kids, we have a different hope. And our hope focuses our minds. Our hope is not in this world. So we're to live with a different hope because we are different. As God's people, we have a different identity. And that's our second point. We have a different identity, and we, we see Peter, he explains this new identity. And he says it in two ways. Firstly, we have a different identity before God, but we also have a different identity before the world and the way we re- relate to the world. Let's look firstly at verses 14 to 16. So have that open in front of you. It says this, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. What's our identity? Well, Peter says that we are children of God. God has called us into his family. God has called us to belong to him and to live for him. We are to be holy and live holy lives. Why? Because we belong to a holy God. Now, holy, it means set apart. It means set apart from ordinary things, set apart from evil things, and to be set apart for God and for glorifying God. God has called us in order that we wouldn't be evil, but that we be set apart for his glory. At the heart of who you are, you are a child of the living, holy God. That is your identity. And that makes you fundamentally different from the world around you. It's a great thing, but it means we're fundamentally different. We're fundamentally different from those we work with, those we play sport with, the way, those we interact with who don't know God as Father. And so because of this, we're God's children, and that determines how we live. It's a little bit like a policeman. You know, I could go on eBay and probably, I haven't checked, but I could probably buy a really cheap knockoff police uh, uniform, and maybe they're pretty good, I don't know. But putting that on wouldn't make me a policeman. And, you know, 
it's not the uniform, but nor is it just the actions. Now, if I see a speeding car and I chase it down and try to issue it a, my own handwritten ticket, that's not going to work. That doesn't make me a policeman either. The actions don't make me a policeman. Now, a police officer is someone who has been trained and appointed to the role of being a policeman, to the identity of a policeman. Their identity determines how they act. So if we're sitting at the lights and, and I see somebody run a red light and a policeman does, well, they're going to act differently because they are a policeman and I'm not. Our identity changes how we act. It's the same with us as Christians. We're children of God and that determines how we live. So I think many people get this wrong about Christianity. They, they don't understand it and they think that Christians, by definition, are people who are trying to be holy. While we are trying to be holy, that's not what makes us Christians. God has made us his children. He has saved us. And in response, we try to live for him. We are, try, we are to live holy lives. We're not moral people. We're changed people trying to live for our holy God. Now, Peter is saying God has saved you. He's given you the holiness of his son, Jesus. Now, because this is your new identity, pursue a life of holiness. God is inviting us to live a life of holiness. Your identity is as God's child. Peter says in verse 14, So, so don't conform. Don't conform to the desires that used to rule you. Don't give in. Don't be ruled by the lusts of our, of our eyes. Don't be ruled by the greeds of your heart, the wants and the passion, passions of your former life, your former identity. Don't let those things rule you. So when you're tempted, don't conform. That's the first part of our new identity. We're to be holy because we're children of a holy God. Now the second aspect of our identity, Peter goes on to say in verse 17, is that because we are children of a holy God, that means that we have to be foreigners to the world around us. We're to be foreigners to the world around us. Our identity to the world is so different. It is so different that Peter will call us foreigners. Now I've lived in Australia all my life. I can't say I really understand the concept of being a foreigner. But I've got friends who have grown up, and all of the friends I have have grown up for a large part of their life in another country. They reference that place as home, and it might be the same for you. They reference that place as home, and so they've lived a life here kind of feeling like foreigners, living like home is somewhere else. Maybe for you that's the same. Well, Peter is saying that is how we are to be as Christians. As Christians, we live as though there's actually no place here that is home. This isn't our home. We don't belong. We are foreigners. As foreigners in this world, he says, we are to live with reverent fear towards the one who we live for, our holy God. We live for his standards. We live for his glory. We live to please him. Living that way will make you foreign to others. It will. And as we live lives as foreigners, we are to do so remembering what has made us foreigners? What has made us, given us this new and different identity as children of God and as foreigners? It is that, Peter says, we have been purchased. We have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. We have been redeemed with no ordinary transaction, but redeemed with the precious blood. What a wonderful thing that is. We're to be different with a different hope, 
with a different identity and we're to live differently in this world and that includes, point three, our difference in relationships. Our relationships are to be different. 1 Peter 1 verse 22 says this, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Peter says, now that you've believed the gospel and been purified from sin. That's what he's saying there when when he says obeying the truth. It's believing the gospel. Now that you've done that, live differently in your relationships with one another. So what marks Christians as different, as holy? It's how we love one another. So love one another. Love one another deeply from the heart. If you're a Christian a follower of the risen Lord Jesus, here's the truth. You can't love Jesus and not love his people. There's just no category for that. We had to love one another deeply. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy at all. But notice Peter doesn't say, you know, try to put up with one another. Try your best to tolerate each other. Just just try to get along. No, no. We had to love one another deeply. Why? Well, we're family. We're not just members of a club or organization. We are members of God's family. The love he's talking about is family love. It's brotherly love. Our love is to be deep and sincere and heartfelt. It's not artificial. It's not play acting. It's not based on selfish motives. It's not just for five minutes either. Now, I hope you're asking, how on earth can we do this? How on earth... Are we supposed to do this? That sounds impossible, right? And I know it is. You know how I know it is? Because I know myself. I know how hard it is to love me. You know, I only think there's, expect there's two people in the world who can love me like this. One's my mother, right? Your mum has to love you. Uh, so she has to. And one's my wife, Kristen, because she's promised to. But you know what? You know, actually, you guys have to love me that way. And I have to love you that way. Deeply, from the heart, sincerely. This, is, this, is, this feels out of reach, doesn't it? To love that way? Well, the reason we can, the reason we can, Peter says in verse 22, and, and again in verse 23, he says in 22, we have been purified. And then in verse 23, we have been born again. See, the same powerful gospel, the word of God that has brought us to new life, that same powerful and enduring word will grow us and enable us to live out our calling in relationships of of love, of pure love, brotherly love. That's what he's saying there in verse 23 to 25. The word of God, the word that brings new birth, grows us into holiness and deep love for one another. That's where the power of love is, God's enduring word. Think about this. Human beings who would naturally not love each other, who would naturally irritate each other, annoy each other, frustrate each other, loving each other, that is different, isn't it? That is different. That's the kind of different we're supposed to live out. Relationships of love. Now, it might feel impossible sometimes to love each other this way, but we need to remember this. When God's Spirit is at work through His Word in His people, 
we are able to love in this way, by God's grace working in us. Now, I think COVID has really challenged the way we love each other. I think it's really made us have to think. It's challenged us to find new ways of intentionally loving each other, but it's also exposed a whole bunch of needs of how we need to be loving each other and caring for each other. And I think one of the biggest ways that we can love each other in this time is to commit to staying connected. Now, that might mean for you, if you're in a growth group that's online and it's, it's hard work, and I get that, that can be hard work, and you might hate it, but out of love, stick it out. Not because it's easy, but because you love those you are gathering with in that group. Now, if you're not in a growth group, we would love for you to join one. We really think it's an essential part of Christian community. We'd love for you to join one. Let us know that on the comment card below. Now, if you're in a position, another way to stay connected is if you're in a position to come here and meet and gather in person. If you've been uh, sent the email, then click and come in. Meet with others. Gather on a Sunday morning. It is encouraging to see people in this room, isn't it? It's encouraging to see each other. That's one way we can love each other. Come along. And it might mean for you not coming along but inviting some others over. Do it safely. Uh, Follow the government rules, but connect together. Do it. Maybe it's calling people you haven't seen in a while. Maybe it's calling people who you know don't have a family around them. So I think loving one another now, a large part of that is staying connected. We've got to be connected to love each other. Connecting is loving. And now what Peter says next might sound like a bit of a strange development. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 1. But what he's doing is taking aim at some very specific things, attitudes and behaviors that have the potential to erode this brotherly love. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice or deceit or hypocrisy or envy or slander of every kind. See, these things are the opposite, aren't they? They're the opposite of sincere, deep love, the love we've been called to live out. If our Christian relationships are going to be different, then we need to get rid of these things. We need to get rid of these attitudes, these habits. Have a look at that list. Look at that list in front of you. It's a list of poisons, isn't it? Who wants relationships like that? Where hatred and bitterness are harbored. Where truth is manipulated for personal gains. Where we want what others have, whether it's material things or their reputation or the esteem they have with others, where words are used constantly to bring each other down. Who wants that? Now Peter's saying these things, many and many more, well, you've been purified from them, so get rid of any lasting hint of them in your relationships. Pursue relationships that are different, built on deep, genuine love. So how are we to live with a different hope with a different identity, with different relationships, and lastly, with different cravings. Peter says in chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. What's it like to crave? Now, some of the mums in the room will quickly remember their pregnancy cravings, cravings during pregnancy, um, and, and at home, I'm sure, as well, you might be able to remember the cravings you had. Maybe they were weird, wacky, and wonderful. Uh, but I also remember the pregnancy cravings I had, actually. Um, well, when my wife was pregnant, um, 
You know how pregnant women aren't meant to eat you know, the soft cheeses and the, the smoked meats and the smoked salmon, all the good stuff, really. Um, those things became banned in our house. And so I wasn't allowed to eat them either. So I had nine months of craving smoked salmon, soft cheese, just as Kristen was. Cravings. The image we get here is a newborn baby. A baby that wants nothing more than its mother's milk. And if you've seen a baby who's hungry to feed, they search for it. They move their head all around. They're searching, craving for their mother's milk. Now, just like babies who have an insatiable thirst for this life-giving milk, we had to crave the spiritual milk that sustains and gives us spiritual life. What is that milk? What is that milk? It's God's word. So this is the message for all of us. And Peter's not just talking to young baby Christians. That's not what he's saying with this image. He wants all of us, all Christians, all of God's people to hunger, to hunger and crave for God's word. Now, back when Jesus was tempted in the desert with Satan, Satan tempted him with food. For 40 days he was out there. And Jesus said this in response to Satan. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, that's what sustains our life. God's word. Now, we've already seen in chapter 1, verse 14, Peter says, Do not give in to your former desires. Desires come up. Do not conform to those evil desires you once had. Don't go there. Don't go there. And I think one of the reasons we're familiar with the idea of desire and craving it's because, well, our world is so good at arousing desire in us, isn't it? <clears throat> I mean, that's what, when you think about it, that's what marketing departments are all about. They're there to arouse desire, to arouse want in you, to arouse cravings for things like food, sex, stuff, any kind of stuff. They're trying to arouse want in you, cravings in you, so that a few weeks later you're Googling that thing they were trying to sell you and you didn't even realize it. These are the desires of the flesh. And Peter tells us today, crave different. Crave God. Crave God's word. Because you've already tasted it. You know him. You know his goodness. Through his word, you have been purified. You have been made holy. And he's working through that word, through you right now, in this moment. Now he's saying, actively pursue new cravings. Get addicted to the Bible. Come back to God's word again and again and taste it. Taste the goodness of your God in his word. Get an appetite for it. Maybe, like me, you need to pray that God will give you stronger cravings for his word. That is a good thing to pray. That God would grow in us a desire, a hunger for his word. I think I need to pray this more. Now, we've seen that God has made us different. He's made us holy. He's set apart us apart for him to live for him, to live holy, set apart lives, to live differently in our world. With a different hope, with a different identity, in different relationships, and with different cravings. Different. Different. Very often in life, we don't want to be different. It's hard to be different, whether it's preschool high school, university, work, around the barbecue. We don't want to be different. But here's the reality. 
If you're one of God's people, he has saved you. And so you are different. So be who you are. Embrace being different. Let's turn to God now and ask him for the strength to live out our lives as his holy people, as his different people. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you that you have saved us and you have purified us. Thank you that we who trust in Jesus have been born again through the enduring word of God. Help us today and every day to embrace the reality that you've called us to live out. You've called us out of a life of evil and into a life that looks different in this world, a life of holiness and freedom. Lord, strengthen us by your spirit to live holy lives. Give us new cravings and new hungers for your word so that we may live to glorify you in this life. Amen.